Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nebraska's Actuarial Science Club podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wrangler, and today I'm joined by Mr. John Forster. John is currently the COO of Medical Risk Manager, and he is a graduate from Rutgers University. John, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great, Matt. Glad to finally be on the show. I listened to a bunch of the episodes, so I'm happy to be on this side of the, the microphone. <laughs> Adam, I, uh, you know, we had to get some, uh, some negotiation on the table. So one of the big things that we had in order to get John on the podcast here today is we had to talk about a little bit of Nebraska wrestling. So we're going to dive right into that right now because John has a little bit of a background in wrestling himself. So, John, what did you want to talk about with uh, Nebraska wrestling today? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I can't come on a Huskers podcast without talking about uh, Nebraska wrestling. I, I wrestled at Rutgers University and Nebraska always has one of those top programs. Uh, the big thing is um, the, the town next to me, uh, Winslow Township, very small town in uh, New Jersey. Most people never heard of it, but a gentleman that uh, did some time at Nebraska, you know, it, it, uh, he He's from that that town. His name is one Jordan, uh, Jordan Burroughs, and uh, pretty interesting. Um, you know, went went to Nebraska, ended up being a two-time national champ, won the Hodge Trophy, which is like the, considered the Heisman of wrestling there. And then uh, Jordan Burroughs ended up after his career in the last decade, he was probably the best international wrestler in the world. Won a gold medal, won I think four world medals and three silver. So that he came, you know, came into Nebraska and really honed his craft and, and got to that level. Um, another, another guy, you know, shortly after Jordan um, that came into Nebraska, James Green, he's from a town, uh, you know, not too far from me as well. He was a four-time All-American and a world silver medalist. As well. So Nebraska really, they really crank them out there. They got the jersey to Nebraska connected. You love to see it. And, you know, I actually, one of the funny things is, is, is um, whenever John and I, I actually met John through this thing called White Claw Wednesday. So if, if you haven't had a chance to check out that, this is a great way to go and network with lots of different professionals all over the country and even out of the country. So if you're interested in that, please make sure to contact John to get involved in those. Super fun super enjoyable. But I remember one time John actually sent me a podcast, which Jordan Burroughs is on Joe Rogan's podcast. And then like a week or two later, I remember Jordan Burroughs specifically said that he loves going to the Whole Foods in Lincoln. And a week or two later, I just, you know, decided to go to Whole Foods just to get some food uh, for grocery shopping one week. And I actually saw him at Whole Foods decked out in all the USA gear and everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if it wasn't for John, I wouldn't be able to see this guy and actually know who this guy was. So it's, you know, it's awesome to kind of you know get dive into all these things outside of actuarial um but yeah, so, so john i'll give you another another point there so good good spot to be holding foods to get the good nutrition for you jordan burroughs is is a is a frequent visitor there i think but the big thing with jordan burroughs is you know coming out of high school he was not a top recruit he was you know he was good he wasn't great he wasn't that you know that guy that everyone would have thought this guy's going to be a all-American or, you know, a national champ or anything like that. And he just kind of took it to the next level there. Actually, um, he ended up in Nebraska just because his teammate 
who was um, a very good wrestler. He was a top recruit. Vince Jones ended up going to Nebraska a year ahead of Jordan. So that's how he ended up there. You know, they got that connection going. Vince Jones is a, a great wrestler in his own right. He was an All-American for Nebraska. So it's interesting. Um, and you hear about the interviews with Jordan Burroughs from before. You know, wasn't that good growing up? Um, you know, was good, not, you know, not, not one of the best guys in the country growing up by any means and then uh, took it to the next level in Lincoln um, and just became a beast and uh, yeah like the best wrestler in the world over the last decade so it's pretty cool to hear about that story I would have to agree because you always like to hear not really like a comeback story but that the story where like a kid wasn't highly touted within high school but then it just comes out and just you know, turns into this amazing, amazing wrestler and it's like world renowned and recognized everywhere really he goes now, which is insane. So it's always cool to hear that story. And we love hearing that story at Nebraska specifically. Uh, but we got John on here today to talk a little bit about his background and take really some steps throughout his career and the progressions and some of the experiences that he had and what he's learned from those experiences. So uh, we'll start with John's uh, early years. So John, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, background from your early years in the actual profession? Yeah, it's been a wild ride, Matt. You know, I've been in it 20 years now. Uh, uh, interesting to say that at this point. And I've had a lot of, a lot of ups and downs, uh, more ups and downs. But definitely um, started out, I, I graduated with a math degree from Rutgers. And it wasn't really sure what to do. It wasn't like it was today where there was so much information out there on actuarial science. So I heard about the profession and I, I was just applying for jobs. Um, you know, there was a little bit of, in 2001 when I graduated, there was a downturn in the economy. So um, they, they were scarce to come by. So I was applying for everything, you know, you could imagine uh, to, to apply for with any sort of math or business background. And I actually ended up getting a job at a small company in New Jersey. Um, it, it's a suburb of Trenton. So it was in, in, in a smaller, smaller town, um, Bennett Card Service. And it was a, a very small company. Um, I think I look back, you know, dumb luck. I think it was very fortunate that I got that experience um, to work for that company because there was a lot of opportunity there where the company was growing. There was a lot that needed to get done. I was able to get my hands in a lot of things that I, I would not have been able to, to do if I started at one of the larger companies worked for later in my career. So it was a great way to kind of jump in. I advanced very quickly there. I started uh, managing staff a couple years out of school. I was in a director level role and on the senior leadership team of the company working directly with um, their VPs and senior management. So it was really a, a, a fortunate um, spot for me to be in. I, I had a great mentor, John Marshall. Honestly, today I had lunch with him. So we still keep in touch. So it just happened to be a, a, a great opportunity for me. I didn't realize it at the time, but definitely could look back on it and say um, that really allowed me to grow leaps and bounds early in my career that I, I wouldn't have had that opportunity at. 
Fantastic, fantastic. That is something I always hear people say is within the small companies, you always get that broader experiences within like everything in the company. It's not just the specific actuarial side of things, but you get to see the business as a whole. But um, I'm kind of curious. I remember from just talking to you in the past, you said you actually wrestled in college. How did you really kind of transition from being an actuary from wrestling? Like how, how did that like, you know, transpire? Yeah, so I guess, you know, part of part of the reason I'm an actuary is because of wrestling. You know, I think a lot of the work ethic definitely helped me out. And, um, you know, we go back to Jordan Burroughs, who was good, not great in high school. I was horrible at every sport you could imagine. I was the last person to pick ball, and wrestling was the sport that I just didn't suck at. Um, so basically, I got into wrestling. Um, my goal was to be, you know, eventually I started having a little bit of success. My goal was to be a state champ in New Jersey and an All-American in college. I didn't do that, but it's like you shoot for the stars, you land at the moon. I placed in the state tournament. I um, was nationally ranked as high as 14th in the country and was the captain of the Rutgers, uh, you know, the Rutgers team. And um, really my roommate in college was a couple years older than me. He was on the team and he he was a math major and that kind of steered me into becoming a math major because he just got a good job out of college. And I said, well, maybe I'll be a math major. I'm good at math. So kind of indirectly got me into it. But I think a lot of the lessons that I've learned in wrestling really helped me out throughout my career. Interesting. I always love hearing people's stories behind how they got into actuarial science because everyone is different. Like, especially with some health actuaries, people said they wanted to enter into the health field. Um, with you just wrestling and mathematics kind of combining together and, you know, having that experience with your roommate. I always love hearing those stories because everyone always has a different story and they're always so cool to kind of hear about it because we all have one thing in common which i've kind of noticed is we all want to help people in some way shape or form which is fantastic but um kind of transitioning into the next thing so you said after you were introduced to the actuarial field and thriving within a small company space um what really came next um after that Yes, yeah, so I was there for about a, uh, five years. I was progressing through the exams, um, not as fast as I would have liked, but getting getting them done, you know. Um, uh, and uh, I, I did think I was at a little bit of a disadvantage of, um, you know, not having a, a very robust student program. Um, you know, I did, you know, I'm, I'm always somebody that is going to put in extra work and I was working a little bit extra at work, not, not, not a ton, but, you know, definitely putting in some extra time. It wasn't like I was taking off, you know, half days, days a week to, to go study for exams. And then the company was sold and it caused a lot of the people that, that, that I was working with, a lot of the senior level people were exiting the company. So I, I said, you know what, I need to see what else is out there. And I ended up, um, Going uh, on the first interview I went to was Independence Blue Cross in Philadelphia. And, you know, I was a little, you know, I'm a country bumpkin from a small uh, farm town in South Jersey. So going into Center City, seeing the big sky rise, um, you know, I definitely, um, you know, went on that interview, got an offer. I accepted that job. Um, you know, the job, honestly, um, I think the, the company, I, I ended up spending, the, you know, ended up doing two at Independence Blue Cross. Um, so I, I spent half of my career there. I really loved the company. Um, really, the, the role that I got into, though, was, um, you know, a bit difficult. It was, you know, I could say this, I was a director in 
you know, four companies and now a COO. I would say it was the toughest role in my career. I did not know that going in. It was to uh, build the Medicare uh, Part D modeling and, and bid process for the company. Um, really looking back, it was extremely understaffed. I had uh, one part-time employee that did probably more work than just about any full-time employee there. Sorry, Rita, I know you did, did a ton. Um, so it was um, definitely a lot of late nights, a lot of weekends. I'm, I'm good with putting in the extra time if it's a busy season or, you know, putting in time, a little bit of hours on the weekends here and there. But it definitely, I definitely averaged about, you know, close to 70 hour work weeks um, uh, in that position. And I was, you know, trying to get the exams done as well. So it was, you know, very difficult to leave work at six, you know, get up early, six in the morning, get into the, get into the city, um, you know, come home, I'd get home six or seven, I'd study a couple hours and then log right back on and fix in whatever modeling fix was, was, was needed. And, you know, don't, not, not really any fault of the company. It was the first year that, uh, you know, Medicare Part D was very new, so it was the first year that the bids were done in um, with experience, and with that experience modeling, Part D came out in 06. This was the 08 bid, so the first couple of years were manually rated, and we utilized a consultant for that. So the company didn't know what the, the staffing was needed for that. Um, eventually, they corrected that. They added more people. You know, this is years down the road after I left and then ultimately at Milliman, um, you know, they're utilizing Milliman's model now. But it was it was a grind, man. It was, um, you know, definitely a point in my career where I was thinking, you know, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, just putting in those, you know, those hours and, you know, one day I would want to have a family and everything else. And I couldn't imagine doing that now where I have a three-year-old and a seven, uh, you know, a 17-year-old stepdaughter and a wife and, you know, this would be tough to put in those hours, um, you know, at this stage of my life. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I was actually about to make mention, I was about to ask, um, it, was that the first time whenever Medicare Part D came out? And you actually already answered that. So that was, that I'm sure had a heavy factor to kind of deal with like how everything was kind of handled because everyone was trying to figure it out still. So obviously, and there was like a lot of ways that can be understaffed and still trying to figure out all the motions of going through Medicare Part D, which is already very complicated in itself, even in this day and age in the, you know, 2021, exactly. which is pretty crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, imagine trying to figure that out when it first comes out, <laughs> you know, right yeah, in the exactly. middle of it. It was like, I felt like I was taking three steps forward and then getting thrown four steps back. And there would be a change in regulation, another data field that we would need to get or the data would come back, you know, not correct. And we were putting in our, um, you know, we, we would be data scrubbing and correcting the errors in, in, in there. So it definitely was a, was a grind. Um, I, I don't miss it. I think, um, you know, I could have lived without that, but um, yeah, it definitely was, uh, you know, was, a, was, a, was some heavy lifting going on there in this day. Oh, I could imagine. And then I actually had a follow up with this. So you said you mentioned a little bit about the exam process throughout the, you know, this time in your early career. So could you maybe go into a little bit more depth and kind of explain what that process looked like for you um, throughout those early years? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I got some, you know, it was similar to how it was today. I mean, I got, 
you know, today there's, I think, I don't know how many, five exams and then the modules to get your ASA. So it was similar. Um, you know, when I was at my first job at Benicard, I failed a few. I mean, I passed the first one I ever took on the first try. That was the only time that happened in my uh, career. So I was progressing through them. And then I hit a, hit a spot where I was just getting fives after fives after fives. And I was putting, you know, that was the time where I was putting in those uh, really uh, grinding hours. So um, so that that was tough. I actually got through, um, you know, I remember passing that. It, it was called exam, uh, uh, exam C back then. Um, it was the life contingencies one that I just was, uh, you know, taking, taking over and over. And I remember studying with people and people were like, wow, John, you know this stuff like the back of your hand. And then I would the exam and I would get a five and I'd be like what the heck's going on but it was just so much going on in you know at work and in the office and taking exams it was tough to focus and um, ultimately I did get through it I think I remember seeing my number on the list and that was like one of the happiest days of my life because I was you know I was pretty close to saying you know do I do something else uh, with my career so I was happy to kind of grind it out and get through it and then um and the modules I thought were for me, I, I feel like my experience was much more than actuary, um, you know, early level actuary. I felt like I did, uh, my jobs were more robust. Um, so I felt like the modules were very easy for me. I felt like I could, you know, I just kind of cranked through them um, to get, you know, uh, get my ASA. I felt like it was just doing work. I was able to do that. But the exams were uh, a bit of a grind. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and they still are today. So it's you know that, that I'm guessing that will never change um, within the SOA or the Casualty yeah. Actuary Society for that matter. Yeah. Um, but then I did have a follow up for this. So you said that you actually considered potentially leaving the career at one point, um, and even the corporate role. How did you end up combating that and getting over that hump, and I guess moving on to the next step in your career? Yeah. So um, so. At Independence, I, I got another role um, there after uh, two years doing the Part D modeling, and that was uh, to support the uh, AmeriHealth New Jersey. Um, and that role was like night and day. It was very different, you know, very different. I was, you know, working with a lot of the business partners, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the challenges. Um, you know, it was still a heavy role. It was heavy lifting. Actually, the thing that made that role the most difficult was, you know, I still had was spending a ton of time on Part D work because um, most of the people that were doing the Part D bids ended up leaving the company. I didn't, you know, I was the, the lone wolf that was there that did a lot of the, a lot of the work that you still have audits coming in and questions coming back. So I still had that. Uh, my job on me, which I spending a fair amount of time. But the other role, you know, it was night and day. I really enjoyed that role. I was uh, working with, uh, you know, the, the sale, uh, sales and product a lot, um, developing our strategy. I really did enjoy that role. And then I got my ASA and, you know, getting your ASA, you guys know, you get on a list. And, um, you know, at that point, I was getting, my phone was ringing off the hook. And I said, I've been in this profession for eight years and really only went on one job interview. And, um, you know, I need, I, I had to see what else was out there. And I, I did get a lot of um, opportunity came to me, I think, where someone else that was eight years in in their career, I had a lot more of a background being, 
um, you know, director at the first company I had and managing staff. And um, I felt like I had a lot more than the typical person that had eight years experience um, under their belt. So I did get a lot of other offers. I think I had four other offers that were all significantly more money. So, um, but the one that really jumped out at me was I was able to go and work at Coventry Healthcare, which was a much bigger role on paper. Um, so I was in charge of uh, all of the actuarial functions for a smaller uh, health plan at Coventry. It was um, Coventry Healthcare of Delaware and Maryland. So I did all the reserving, all the, the, the pricing, all the, the forecasting for those two states. And really, I got to work with uh, Dan Rafalski, which, you know, I think um, he worked with me at Independence Blue Cross and got a bigger role at Coventry. And, you know, a lot of people make the comparison as they get to be trained by uh, Michael Jordan in basketball, I would say, I would say it was, for me, it was like getting trained by Jordan Burroughs in wrestling. You know, I think I definitely had a lot of respect for Dan and Dan really uh, knew a lot. So I definitely learned a lot under Dan and um, just uh, just being able to absorb his knowledge and, and, and you know, have that strong partnership really helped me out later in my career. Dan is now the uh, chief actuary at Aetna. Um, so he, you know, he's been continuing his success. So I think it was a, a very good fit for me to, to go into to the role at Coventry. And uh, really, I was uh, dotted line to the CEO of that of, of uh, Coventry Healthcare of Delaware and Maryland. So it was a was a bigger role on paper. Actually, was less. Uh, you know, still a busy role. Still worked a lot, but less much less time than you know when I was uh, doing the part payments. So. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, while you finally like achieved your ASA and you went on to pursue more within the actuar actuarial field, I remember looking on your LinkedIn and seeing that you also on to pursue MMA fighting around this same time. So what did balancing those two things look like for you? Yeah, so I'll tell you how I kind of got into it. I, I, I started, you know, I, I wrestled in college and saw some people having success. So I, I took classes and kind of would go and train a little bit, you know, back historically. But um, back when I was, uh, you know, working the job um, with uh, the Medicare job, I was, you know, putting in a lot of hours. So I didn't get time to go to the gym and I actually got really out of shape. I was up to, I think, 220 pounds and, um, you know, wasn't good weight. It was heavy weight and um, was a little bit of you know, I wouldn't say I had some major health issues, but I did have, you know, some maintenance medication I had to take and everything. And when I moved to the new role uh, at Coventry, you know, freed up a little bit of time. And really for me, it was just like getting back to the gym. I was an athlete my whole life. I wanted to uh, continue to do that. I did marathons before and, you know, just, just for me, it was more just like making sure I'm at the gym three days a week and really started to just get, I, I kind of get a little obsessive when I have goals and, you know, kind of said, started training a lot of jujitsu and a lot of MMA and started doing well with some people that were competing. So I kind of just said, I'm going to, I'm going to be a pro MMA fighter. And some people looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, you're totally out of shape. You're getting up there in the years. What are you talking about? So started training, I actually got a sanctioned fight at, at Harris uh, in Philadelphia. So went to the, you know, went to a casino. It was a big event and was winning that fight, ended up losing. 
I ended up getting submitted. I was winning up until that point, and I was like, oh, man. Then it kind of put me into overdrive. I hate losing. You know, you go there. A lot of people came to watch me. Um, so I remember, you know, being in the cage and hearing the crowd go crazy for the other person. And then, I, then that really kind of set me into overdrive to say, hey, I'm going to pick up my training, pick up my pace. And then I, I fought uh, uh, an event that was at the Wildwood Convention Center. I won that event. and. Um, you know, really, I just kept, um, you know, kept pursuing it and uh, really just got in my head that I wanted to, you know, see how far I could go with this. Right? So, um, so I, you know, just continue training. Gotcha, gotcha. That's so cool to hear. Now, now, I'm a little bit curious, like how, like alongside progressing throughout the MMA fighting and becoming a professional a- MMA fighter, how did you progress your, throughout your career at this time? Like, what did the work life look, you know, like look yeah. like? So it was interesting. So when I was at Coventry, I was the appointed actuary. I had a had a pretty big role there. I actually started um, getting VP offers for other jobs that were for more money, and really was like I, you know, life was going good for me at that point. So I kind of, you know, did not take those positions. You know, I was in my early thirties, so I felt that was, you know, tough to turn down to have positions for much more money. But things were going good with my team and everything else. Then. Um, what happened was there was some restructuring going on and, you know, started um, again, you know, I'm not a nine, never, never been a nine to fiver. I'm always putting in time at night and in the weekends, but it, it, you know, I wasn't sure what was happening with uh, the the company I was at. Um, so I actually took, uh, ended up taking a, a step back. I went, um, Dan Rafalski went to Independence Blue Cross and I ended up uh, reaching out to him and asking him if there were any roles available. And there was a role available that was a little bit of a, a step back for me, actually. And that was the best thing that I could have done at that point in my life. Was, you know, I was getting into the MMA. I was getting into some other things outside of outside of work. So I think at that point, taking that step back was, um, you know, just unbelievably good for my personal life and my uh, career where I was able to train. I was able to get in. We had a gym on the ninth floor. I was able to get, you know, training in five, six days a week. And really I went from, I was 220 pounds. I fought my professional fight at 145 pounds. So I, you know, dropped a lot of weight, just was feeling, you know, much better, much healthier. I was in probably the, one of the best shape of my life. I don't know, very close to when I was competing in college wrestling. And um, yeah, it was it was good. I ended up, um, you know, winning a winning a lightweight title, uh, amateur title, and then signed a professional career, uh, professional fight with Cage Fury. They're one of the top uh, top companies outside of the UFC. So I signed a professional fight with them, and I won that pro fight. So it worked out worked out well for me. Wow, that is fantastic to hear. Well, I'm so glad that worked out well for you because, like, that's just a cool experience in itself. And, you know, you're able to drop, like, that many pounds. Like, I'm trying to do the math off the top of my head. That's close to, like, 80 pounds, like, right then and there, you know? Like, that's an insanely awesome achievement to do, for like, especially at this point in your career and everything of that nature. Like, that's just overall 
wonderful feeling and experience. But I want to back up a little bit here. I, I remember you just said that this was actually a step back in your career. You kind of considered that like a step back. So can we maybe dive a little bit deeper into why you made this move and like what you really, I guess, like learn from the experience as a whole? Yeah, so I think um, I, I, it was just a smart, yeah, I could tell you, it was a smart decision for me. I think a lot of people ask me, like, why are you taking a step back and why, you know, it was still a director level position. I was um, in charge of uh, four ancillary lines, uh, vision, dental, um, RX, and uh, stop loss too, but we had an external we we had an external vendor that did did a lot of that work for us but it was um yeah just a point in my career where i felt like um you know not just the mma that's the thing that people sees but i was um you know i wanted to do more um there were a couple charities that i worked with and i i ended up starting a couple scholarships and just doing some more things outside of work and, you know, I felt like I, I could do that taking, you know, a director level role rather than, um, you know, the, the you know, uh, more closer to a VP level role. So I felt like, um, yeah, it was a, you know, decision I, I wanted to make. There were, you know, the company I was at ended up, I actually resigned on the day that they got bought by Aetna. So I kind of had that, you know, uh, you know, some feeling something was going on with the company I was at and wasn't sure about the future of the company. And obviously, um, you know, they ended up getting sold to Aetna. I know a lot of people uh, stayed there and wrote it out and ended up having great careers there. And Aetna is a great company. So maybe that would have worked out for me if I went down that road. But I think um, just, you know, make I, I, I look back at that and it was a little bit of a tough decision for me to make. Um, especially since I did get, you know, offers about going back a year and a half before that for much more money in a VP role. Um, but it was, you know, I look back at that and say that was probably the best decision that I uh, made in my career. Just thought I, I wanted a company that had some stability and just, um, you know, figured I would uh, take that job and then figure it out for me. There you go. There you go. And then there's one thing I did want to make mention with is like a lot of people are nervous to do this. And especially now today, like I've seen with so many college students is they're always worried about trying to like find purpose or find where they fit in like for themselves and making sure they, you know, this experience is right for them. Um, and like I said, a lot of young people are worried about this today. And, you know, John, you went through this. Um yeah. Do you want to make any more like additional comments or like maybe offer a piece of advice for someone that's even not even like young students, but just like people within the profession as of right now that maybe need to take that step back and aren't really doing it. To, and they just, you know, they need to hear like a piece of advice or so, John, what would you offer um, those people listening today? Yeah, you know what it is? Every situation is so different when you're talking about your life and your career. I mean, people have, you know, there's so much that goes into it. I mean, at the end of the day, for me, I'm working to support what else is there in my life, right? I mean, I'm not, you know, I like being a great actuary and I like being a great leader to my team. But at the end of the day, I mean, I, I you know, I, I got things happening with my family. I always have things outside of outside of, uh, you know, outside of my career. So you really got to think about what do you want in your career? I think, you know, if I were to go back to me, um, you know, 
And I, when I made my first move to Independence Blue Cross and, you know, I really needed to, you know, finish up my exams and some, something that, a job that could have supported that. I mean, I would have went for a job that somebody was in that job that was successful passing an exam, right? I probably could have found um, that job and I probably could have talked it through with somebody. And if I talked to somebody who worked in Medicare, um, even you, Matt, you understand how, you know, the challenge is being an intern at Humana, you know, you understand there's a lot of, a lot of workload and a lot of challenges on that. So if you're the guy that's in, uh, responsible for um, setting up that entire process, you know, that's going to be a lot of, lot of work on your shoulders. So I think you got to think about it as every situation is very different. I would talk to people within your company. I would talk to people within the company that you're applying to. I think even uh, even positions in different companies are very different. I you know when I took the job coming back to independence, um, the workload was just much less than um, you know the job that I that I, that I did initially at independence. So um, there's definitely very very big differences there, and you know I think something to keep in mind too. I mean I I I say that the job was you know lower workload for me. Um, you know, I kind of am somebody that, you know, I, I, I don't mind working nights or weekends sometimes, you know, I think everybody has their own threshold for how much they're going to work. I mean, all my jobs, I always, I never clocked out at five. Um, I always kind of, kind of put in some extra time, but some people might need a job that, you know, you're, you're more nine to five or you're more part-time, right? So um, people, you know, you really got to think about it as an individual decision. And I would, Talk to as many people as you could within that company or within that practice or within that area of uh, expertise that could kind of give you some um, ideas about it. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's best to evaluate the situation that you're in, talk to some people that are around that situation and develop a good idea of what could possibly be best for you. Is that a good way to kind of summarize it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, there you go, everybody. You're going through that process right now. You heard it from the best. <laughs> so then I kind of want to transition back into what we were talking about with MMA. So how is the MMA career going um, while you're going through this new progression in your career? And I know you eventually stopped the MMA yeah. fighting. Um, why did you end up stopping as well? You know, the, the wheels started falling off. I mean, it, before I, you know, uh, one fight before I won my uh, amateur title, you know, I blew my ACL, ACL out, um, had to go through rehab to get back to it. And really, it's just as I got older, you know, I wrestled wrestling in college, take some, some mileage off of you. So I just felt like I was, you know, in my moving into my late thirties, I, I, you know, I didn't, you know, I, I, I wanted to compete, um, but it, it was getting much more time for um, recovery than actually training and really ended up some other things happened. I ended up getting married, ended up having a kid. Um, so there were just some other, you know, other things that were, um, you know, that, that were happening in my life that I, you know, I felt like I, I retired on top, you know, I went undefeated professionally, one and know, and um, yeah, only lost one amateur fight, won a bunch of amateur fights. So I felt like it was a, the right time to, to stop. I still try to train jiu-jitsu when I can. Um, yeah, uh, slowed down during the pandemic, but looking to get back to that soon. So um, definitely, I love it. I love hitting pads, hitting, hitting uh, you know, doing some boxing workouts. So I still like doing that, but um, competing just takes a ton of time off of you. 
Um, but then I just kind of refocused onto my career and really started building up my job and taking on taking on more at work. I ended up uh, 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 taking on the government market segments at Independence Blue Cross was a certifying actuary for Medicare Advantage. We had Milliman modeling our Medicare Part D plans uh, when I took it over. So that was, you know, that was good. I did not have to, um, you know, deal with that as much as I, I did previously, but I definitely started to then uh, move forward in my career a little more and uh, took on took on much more. There you go. There you go. So it kind of ties back into a little bit where you were talking about before is like you evaluated your situation at the time. And, you know, instead of doing it for the actuarial and professional side of things, you were doing it for your MMA. You were kind of evaluating that situation and, you know, making the best decision for you in the moment. So I do have a question about this now in terms of the professional side of things. So you eventually decided to leave inter um, IBC and then join uh, Prudential. So what did this progression look like and why did you make this move? So, you know, that was a very tough decision for me because I really, you know, I, I worked at Independence Blue Cross half my career and really, you know, you know, love it there. You know, when we have those uh, networking happy hours, there's tons of people from Independence um, on there and just really love the company. I love my career. But I do think it was, I, I did get to a point where, you know, 16, 17 years of my career, I finally got it, got a little smart and started to figure out what I needed to do. My, my role uh, kept getting wider. I kept taking on more work, but it wasn't getting, um, you know, it was more of the need of the, I was taking on work that was the need of the company. It wasn't, um, you know, they're, they're, Independence Blue Cross is still somewhat of a mid-sized company. So, um, you know, I just didn't see the opportunity there to uh, figure out what I wanted to do. And, I wasn't really necessarily looking uh, to, to definitely jump ship, but I did feel like I was there seven years and did not look at other um, opportunities and, you know, really talk to a lot of people about this. I, it wasn't me making the decision now where early in the career, it was me trying to figure figure things out. And I think I, I realized late in my career that I don't know anything. I need to talk to people and figure out what worked in their career and, and, and you know, what I should be doing. So, I, um, you know, I, I did a job search and got three offers and really Prudential was probably when I started the lowest on the list. Um, and as I went through uh, discussions with certain individuals, um, uh, you know, in my network, mentors that I, that I had, um, you know, I, I, it kind of rose to the top and there was, you know, being at a bigger company, doing something that was a little new to me. And, um, you know, it was long-term care that I had a little bit of experience in, but not a ton. And really the way the team structure was set up, um, it, it, it kind of worked out and it definitely was the right decision for me at the time. And um, really, I, I, yeah, really it was a good move. And I wouldn't have made that decision on my own. That decision was made. Uh, from people that I've talked to, uh, you know, outside of my own ideas about what would be best for my career. So definitely talking to other people that might know a little more than you um, is, is a key to figuring out where, where you need to go. Interesting, interesting. So I remember we talked about this a little bit, um, actually during a happy hour one time is um, whenever you actually get to connect with other people and talk to them about certain situations, whether it be actuarial, um, the corporate world or anything like that, you can learn 
so much just from talking to people and um, just by reading stuff as well. So I'm sure like <laughs> throughout this time, you also had the opportunity to like learn things, not just from talking people, but by I'm guessing like listening to podcasts and like also reading articles and stuff like that. Am I correct in assuming something of that nature? <laughs> Yeah, you're right, Matt. I listen to your podcast all the time, so that that's a, that's one on my on my Apple or on my Spotify list. Um, I think I got you know I I you know I listen to the SOA podcast. I listen to we talked about Joe Rogan. Um, yeah, and reading a lot of books. I think Winning Conditions is one that hits the nail right on the head about setting setting your situation up for success. And, um, you know, that's one that I read. And really, I think um, I didn't start doing that till really late in my career. Really, it's been the past three years or four years. And um, I could say after you start really putting the pieces together, and I came from that wrestling background that, you know, all you do is in MMA, you just work hard, and then you get the results. And, you know, in the, in the corporate world, you got to be uh, you got to focus on some other things as well. So I think I've been doing that recently. It definitely has been uh, working out for me. I got, um, you know, the job that I got recently, you know, that 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 job, um, you know, the, the president of the company, Mabe Koja, um, he sent me the job description and it was like, this is really what I want to do. Um, you know, MRM is one, uh, you know, very, uh, very reputable company that I knew them back from my uh, Days at Coventry, uh, we utilize their expertise to underwrite their uh, stop loss. And um, definitely was, uh, definitely for me, it's I always liked the actuarial aspects of my job, but I always did things outside of that. And it was more of me going outside of my job description. And uh, with the job that I'm, I'm at now, I'm doing the actuarial work, but I'm also on sales calls. I'm working with the VP of sales. I'm setting goals for the for the entire company um, I'm the PL owner of the company so um, it really kind of was what I was looking to do and um, yeah it definitely kind of came to me because I really set myself up for it and, um, yeah I'm very very happy about that and happy about the decision fantastic you know as long as you start doing that at one point in your career, you can reap so many huge dividends from that. Like just by learning, like you said, learning and talking to people, reading books, winning conditions. I know it's a fantastic book for this. I've heard, and I always see Miss um, Hoffback on LinkedIn advertising that book as well for young professionals. So if you hadn't had a chance, please check that out. Um, I, I just actually started reading it not too long ago, and it is a gold mine of fantastic information in order to start your career out, especially if you're, you know, a younger listener, um, go, just about to enter within the profession. It is a fantastic read. Um, but one of the coolest things about this whole journey that you also went through, John, is throughout your whole career, you had the ability to speak to numerous dynamic leaders and just wonderful mentors and people throughout your whole entire career. So, one of the coolest things about this is John is actually going to be starting his own podcast where he introduces and talks to some of these dynamic leaders that he had these experiences with. And uh, you can find some uh, nice little nuggets of information and in, um, similar to that of winning conditions and in, in terms of like how to progress throughout your career. So uh, John, do you, I mean, I, I don't know much about it, obviously, because it isn't released yet. Um, at the time of this release of this podcast, it could be released. So Go ahead and check it out. Look up John Forrester, and he will be up there for you for his podcast. But, um, John, would you like to talk a little bit more about that right now? 
Yeah, so it's definitely something that I wanted to start doing, um, you know, a little bit during the pin, you know, from the pandemic, I started those networking happy hours where we've been having some amazing conversations with a lot of a lot of the top people from not just um, uh, the actuarial profession, but all walks of life, we kind of try to bring some other people in as well. And I, I really think that I was, I would say an idiot throughout my career for 16, 17 years. And there were times that, you know, I just was able to be in the right circumstance that, that, you know, my hard work paid off and I was able to, to progress. So it's something that I think, um, you know, for me, it's it's you, young Huskers. You know, you could you could save yourself a good sixteen years of your career by learning this uh, early. So I did feel feel like I didn't want to start a podcast. I felt like I do have a, a good network of of very dynamic leaders. So I figured I'd uh, be original and name it John Forster talks to dynamic leaders. And um, yeah, I think we're gonna have some good uh, good guests on. I'm already talking to people to get my guests lined up. Uh, might be something up on Spotify or I, um, yeah, it'll be on Spotify, Apple, Apple um, podcast on YouTube. So um, probably by the time this gets, um, uh, gets, gets released, you, you'll be able to search for that. But if not, go search for it a couple weeks later. So looking to get that going. I do think that it is uh, good to give back. And I listen to a lot of podcasts that helped me. So I want to be able to kind of give back to the profession with uh, starting my own one of the best parts about it is it is so fun to do as well. That's, that's one of the best parts is I've enjoyed you know, hosting these conversations for students and professionals all around. And I, I love it. So I, I I'm so excited that this is going to be something that, that you go in and, and take on John, because I'm very excited to start listening to these as well, because they are fantastic opportunities to learn more. Um, and that's one of the best parts about it, you know? Excellent. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. So last but not least, I always like to wrap some of these up with uh, maybe some advice that you can offer to our listeners. So obviously, we're coming out of the pandemic. Um, it seems like there's there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Um, things are starting to pick up. But uh, what advice would you maybe offer to uh, all of our listeners uh, here today? Yeah, so I, I would say you guys, um, you, you got the world at your fingertips, you know, we did not, when I, when I was in college, I remember I got this little pamphlet that said, what is an actuary, you know, you, you have LinkedIn with a lot of people are releasing some great information on, you got these podcasts, um, there's people that you could reach out to to talk to, if there's someone that's a top actuary or someone top in business from your college or your high school, reach out to them. I, I would say really start talking to other people and uh, really figure out what you want to do in your career. That's going to probably change um, through the course of your career, but figure out what you want to do and try to find a, find a, find a job that supports that. Um, so that's, that's my advice I would give to people. I think, um, you know, there's pod, podcasts, articles, books now, you know, I think it, it, back in, you know, back in uh, the old days and early 2000s, we, did, we didn't have all of that and the information wasn't as, as much out there. Um, so take advantage of it. Um, definitely uh, listen to Matt's podcast. I love listening to him. So I'll be listening to the, the, the future ones and um, just uh, definitely uh, hoping, hoping that uh, the profession really 
uh, progresses and grows as a whole. I think we're in good shape with a lot. I see it with a lot of the the, the next generation coming in uh, into into the actuarial world. I feel like we're in really good shape. I couldn't agree more. Especially seeing firsthand some of the resilient resiliency I saw from all these Huskers last semester. I mean, my God, we are in some good hands. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It was a tough so, year, huh? Tough year. I think we're coming out of it. Indeed, indeed. But that is all we have here for you today. Thank you all for listening, and uh, y'all have a good rest of the day.